Hello, my friends, and we are back. Welcome to the Robcast. This is episode 204, and I've been wandering around uh, this summer, and now we'll start making some uh, Robcasts again. How about that? This one is called Manua, and, uh, or you could say Manuha. And uh, I want to teach you this word. I want to show you this word. And um, it feels like the right thing to do on this. Did I mention screaming hot mid-August day? Uh, I was in the UK. So shout out and much love to all of you in the UK that I got to see. Then uh, went off the grid for quite a while um, with my family. And um, that was just glorious, as you can imagine. Then I went to Brazil. I just got back from Brazil, and I just want to send some love to all of my new Brazilian friends, uh, Tiago, Natalia, Luciana, Carol, Claudia, Rodrigo, Anderson, MC Smiles in the house, Deborah. Uh, I went down for a Holy Shift tour. It's my first ever time um, in Brazil, first ever tour stop in Brazil, and it was just... Uh, I was just amazing, and I uh, I ate feijoada for the first time, which was as glorious as they said it would be. We went surfing in Guarajaja, is that right? And uh, I got to see so much amazing street art. Uh, I got to meet some friends of Banksy, but aren't we all really friends of Banksy? Um, and then there was this moment at the end after. Uh, the I did the Holy Shift show. I met these two guys, and they said, you know, at the beginning of the show, you said this was your first time ever in Brazil, first time ever doing a tour stop in Brazil. And then these two Brazilian dudes, they put their hands over their chests, and they each say, but you've been in our hearts for a long time. Oh, come on. If that doesn't melt you, you have a heart of stone. So, uh, sending love to all of my new Brazilian friends. I will return at some point. <laughs> uh, but speaking of tour, um, this afternoon, um, my family and I are going to the airport, and then we're going to go off the grid again. Actually, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go to Oregon, and we're going to drive around Oregon. We're going to go to a Shakespeare festival and we're going to go to a lake, and we're going to go to the ocean, and we're just going to drive around Oregon. Um, that's the plan. <laughs> and then at some point, we'll be done driving around Oregon, and then uh, the Holy Shift Tour continues. So Grand Rapids, I'm coming your way. The first show in Grand Rapids sold out. Second show has a couple tickets left. Then Detroit. This is all, what would that be? Uh, August 23rd, 24th, 25th, 26th. Two Grand Rapids shows, Detroit. And then Toronto, I see you. That will be the 26th. So, uh, and Pete Rollins will be opening on all those dates. And so a number of you, I'm coming your way. And then uh, I have all this new content, all this new teaching about the mind. I've been so fascinated with how we have these assumptions, we have these expectations, we have these... We have our furniture arranged in particular ways uh, in our minds that, that work against all the things we want to do and become. Um, and so uh, I have a couple days worth of new 
content about this? Can your mind be transformed? Can you actually take thoughts captive? Uh, what does it mean to change your thinking, which always ends to your life changing? So I'm doing this event called A New Mind. I'm doing it here in L.A. in November. It's a two-day event, and of course there'll be some surprise guests. But I got all this new uh new content I got to share with somebody. So all that info is at uh, robbell.com. Oh, and one more thing. Before we get into Manuha, I am like bursting because we're about a month away from uh, doing the workshop reads of my new play. I wrote a play called What's a Naka? And uh, we did table read and now we're doing like the next development step, which is called a workshop read. So we're taking over the Greenway Theater here in Los Angeles. Kristen Hange is directing. And uh, what we're going to do is essentially a workshop read is the actors stand behind uh, music stands and read the uh, sort of read slash perform the play. But then Kristen, the director, and I, um, we're going to show you drawings of what the stage will look like. We're going to show you drawings of what the um, wardrobe will look like. Then we'll come out, they'll do the reading, and then afterwards, Kristen and I will come up and we'll um, we'll talk some more about the play, perhaps do some Q&A. We'll see. So um, there's still some tickets left for the workshop reads of my play, What's a Naka? Um, and, you know, that's like, uh, can you believe that, that we get to do all this? But now, my friends... Uh, I thought we should begin this week, and I think, uh, and then the next episode as well, maybe the following one as well. Uh, I want to begin by exploring, I want to pursue a theme here, and I want to connect these all, but I want to begin with this word, manuha. I stumbled across this a number of years ago. It's a Hebrew word, which probably doesn't surprise you. Um, manuha, or the a version of the word manuha, nuha, appears, um, it actually appears in the Ten Commandments in the Hebrew um, where it talks about uh, the command, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you'll uh, labor and do your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath. On it, I'm reading from the book of Exodus chapter 20, you don't do any work. For in, And then the explanation for why on a seventh day you don't do any work is because in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that's in them, but then God rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, why is this interesting? Because this idea of God resting on the Sabbath day, the word rest there is the word nuah. Uh, that's where you get this word manuah. And uh, the word rested, it's also uh, the, the story about Noah and the ark. When the ark finally comes to nuah, it comes to rest. And by the way, Nuah, you also, Manuah is where you get the word Noah. Um, so Noah, and it, there's a play there, there's a connection between the name Noah and then the ark resting, which is interesting in the context of the story, because the story is about a move from a violent God who wants to destroy people to a God who says, I'm never going to do that again. So by the way, any story in which God changes God's mind is a story about human beings changing their minds about God. So when people are like, what kind of God changes God's mind? A better question would be, what kind of people tell stories to explain the deepest nature of reality in which the divine changes? So the story is about people waking up. They're waking up 
to a less violent, more loving, to a less destructive, more peaceful understanding of the source from which all comes. You see how this is all much, much more sophisticated um, than people generally read these stories. But the story in Exodus is about the divine resting. And somehow, the command for people to rest, to spend a day doing no work, is to flow out of a larger, deeper understanding of the depths of reality, the divine, or whatever language you want to use for this, source, spirit, rests. And so God resting is about the nature of reality. There's something central to creation itself about rest, or as we're now saying, manuha. Now, let's go back to Genesis chapter 1, because the Bible opens with a poem, because some things are so beautiful and profound and mysterious, they don't fit in literal categories of language. you got to move to poetry. So the Bible actually opens with a giant poem. Genesis 1-1 through roughly Genesis 2-3 is a poem that just builds and builds and builds, and then it crescendos. It reaches its creation culmination in this seventh day, which is different than all these other days in the poem, because in this day, the divine doesn't do any creating. The divine rests. So it all builds up to this. And the word there for rest is the word where we get the word uh, Sabbath, which means cease or desist. Now, here's the insight. Creation isn't complete without rest. There is no fullness of life without celebration. There is the work, there is the making, there is the creating, there is the organizing, there is designing. But without the enjoyment, the celebration, the rest, without the party, the joy in response to everything that was done, you don't have the fullness of creation. So thousands of years ago, these Hebrew poets were insisting that there's something about the nature of the universe itself that it flows from, it's driven by, its engine, its culmination, its climax, its crescendo is rest, is a ceasing from striving and effort and sweat. It's celebration. Oh, by the way, we should uh, talk about the numbers here because this will all relate back to Manuma. Hang with with Manu-aha. <laughs> I can barely say it. Here's what I mean. In Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, that, that, uh, that verse has seven words in it. Uh, those seven words have 28 letters, which is seven times four. Uh, chapter 1, verse 2 has 14 words in it. That's seven times two. The first three Hebrew words there, in the beginning God created, uh, those three Hebrew words have 14 letters between them, that's seven times two. Chapter two, one through three, the whole section on Sabbath is uh, made up of 35 words, which is seven times five. The word earth 
in the poem is mentioned 21 times, that's seven times three. The word God is mentioned 35 times, seven times five. The terms, uh, the heaven, also called the firmament, that term occurs 21 times, which is seven times three. Uh, The phrase God made and it was so, the phrase it was so occurs seven times, and the phrase it was good occurs seven times. So these patterns of seven, the poem is intricately arranged in patterns of seven and repeating patterns of seven. Oh, by the way, uh, in the entire Hebrew Scriptures, Old Testament, the number seven occurs 287 times, which is seven times 41. Uh, the, the, the word seventh occurs 98 times, which is seven times 14. The phrase sevenfold occurs seven times, and the number 70 occurs 56 times, which is seven times eight. <laughs> I think it's safe to say the number seven is fairly significant. So the whole poem and the whole structure of the poem and the number patterns to the original people, uh, readers would and hearers would have been incredible. They would have picked up on this. They would have understand that the poem is, in the beginning, God created. The poem is, uh, the earth was darkness and void. Spirit entered in the water. They would have heard seven, 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 seven. And the seven refers to fullness of the vitality of creation. And seven is the number which essentially brings us to the rest and completion, to manuha. So there's something about the way these people understood the nature of reality that had them seen manuha, 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 rest, celebration, rejuvenation, renewal. Now, why is this interesting? Hang with me here. First off, this story here, or the Ten Commandments in Exodus, is being spoken to people who have just been rescued from slavery. And these slaves had been in Egypt where they were owned by the Pharaoh, and they had to work all the time, seven days a week. So you're essentially, when you work, work, work all day long, your value and your worth comes from how many bricks you make in their slavery in Egypt. Your identity comes from how productive and efficient you are. And so these people have been rescued from that life. And in this new life, essentially they have to find out what it means to be human all over again. And so the Ten Commandment phrase about you'll, you, now you're going to observe a Sabbath, you can work for six days, but on seventh, do no work, is a new understanding of the deepest depths of reality. It's a new rooting in the God who rests. Because honestly, the, the idea of like a God who makes the world and then rests, it's an absurd idea, correct? A God who rests. And obviously the writer is fully aware of how this is slightly absurd, an infinite divine source of all things who, who's tired. But what's interesting, it never talks about the divine being tired. It talks about rest that's different, a ceasing from creating. That there's something about what it means to be human being that you're not experiencing the fullness of your humanity until you're living in this rhythm of doing and not doing, 
of working, creating, building, arranging, organizing, and celebrating, resting, ceasing from your efforts. Now, another question, and this gets fascinatingly political, is the Hebrew scriptures, and we can start with Genesis 1 and work our all the way through, were edited together in exile. So later on down the road, these people find themselves in this new land. They don't observe this six-in-one rhythm to their lives. They don't let the land lie fallow. They don't give the land a year off. They don't practice a Sabbath. They do not embrace the manuha, the resting of life. And the Babylonians come and just conquer them and haul them away into exile. And a number, so their culture, their culture is destroyed. They are yanked away miles and miles and miles from home in a foreign culture with foreign people, foreign language, foreign stories, uh, food, dress, all of it. They're in this foreign land, and it's their prophets who say, you know why you were conquered and hauled away miles from home? Because you didn't practice Sabbath, or you might say, you had no manuha. So for the prophets, if you don't have this rhythm of life, this six-in-one, if you lose the manuha of life, those moments when you're unplugged, those moments when the computer is turned off, those moments when you're free from the buzz and the adrenaline hit. Essentially, the prophets are saying, you had no manuha, and so because you had no manuha, your entire culture, politically, socially, economically, was destroyed, conquered, vanquished, and you were hauled away. So literally thousands of years ago, people were exploring acutely aware of how without manuha, without rest, without those periods when you aren't doing much of anything, you're just celebrating, you're just being. You don't have this built into the structure and rhythm of your life. Everything can unravel very, very quickly. Manuha is an actual thing. So in the creation poem, it's as if the poet is saying, Making sun, moon, and stars, it's poetry once again. The creation of quarks, uh, animals and species, and the ongoing evolution of the whole thing, that's a thing, but so is not making a world. That's a thing. Not doing it is just as much a thing as doing it. You think about music, like a chart of music. There are the notes and then there's the rest, and the rest is noted as well. And without the rest, it's just solid noise. You don't have a song. So the rest, the notation may be a space in between notes, but the space is just as real as the notes on either side of it. Now let's move from music to architecture. Think about negative space in architecture. Let's say you have two columns, and those two columns, marble, brick, stone, 
paper mache, whatever it is, you have these two columns. But when you place two columns near each other, let's say 11 feet apart, you now have a space between those columns. The placing of the columns creates a space between the columns, which is called a negative space. The space isn't anything because the columns are actual things you can move around. They have a particular, obvious, apparent materiality to them. Stone, rock, etc. And yet, the space that is created between those columns isn't anything you can put your hands on. You can't move that around, and yet that negative space is just as real as the physical objects that created that negative space. Now, why do I talk about all this? Because it often appears in Western culture like you go, 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 then we collapse and sort of catch our breath all so that we can do what? Keep going. Oftentimes, the pace of life, the addiction to movement, to achieving, to being productive, to returning all those emails, to driving the kids around, becomes such a thing that we only know manuha, we only know rest, we only know the quiet breath of the relaxing celebration as something we're doing so that we can go back to the real thing, which is the buzz and the push and the pull and the grind of how we've come to understand everyday life. But in creation, in the creation poem in Genesis 1, the not doing all of that, the resting, the manuha, the silence, the space, is just as real and just as vital to creation. Without it, you do not have the fullness of creation. Now, for many people in our culture, the enslavement to production and efficiency and the latest numbers is so, it's such a driving force. It's such an addiction. How many, how many times have you heard somebody who says something like, Oh my, we just sat in on Sunday or Saturday. We just stayed in. We just made pancakes and we sat around. And I mean, we were just so lazy. What's that saying? When we say, oh, that was just so lazy, we're essentially saying everything is about the work and there's either work or there's lazy, which is not work, as opposed to manuha. We were doing the really important thing, which is nothing. Now, the reason why I say that is seven, 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 seven is the repeating pattern that this idea of manuha comes out of the story of creation, and in creation, the rest is the culmination. It's almost like the celebration of what exists and what's been done is actually the high point. It doesn't begin with, and day one, God rested so that God would have enough energy to actually get something done and earn her keep. <laughs> right? It's not, ah, you rested so that you can get more done. It's all this was done. But then the real crescendo, the real climax of it all was the ceasing, was the desisting from labor, was the Shabbat, 
was the Sabbath, was the manuha, was the rest. That's actually the mojo. So uh, in one way, you could see manuha is simply a mantra. Manuha is the mantra that you speak to yourself when you're having a hard time turning the engine off, when you're hooked in to that buzz, that adrenaline hit. Because think about your texts. You know that feeling when you look down at your phone and you got a couple blue circles with new texts? It's like a little hit. It's like a little drug hit. The brain loves that. Ooh, somebody texted me. And the reason why you know this is if you look down at your phone at the end of the day and no one has texted you, how many of you have like this existential, it's like an echo chamber in the soul, right? Like if you got no emails and no texts and no phone calls and no direct messages for the next three days, how many of us would be like, oh, uh, did, did, did everybody forget me? <laughs> um, does everybody know that I'm around? So we resent this barrage that comes our way, but take it away, and we instantly have a, a low-grade terror. There's a panic. Do they still know that I'm in the game? Uh, do they still know I got it? At, do I still matter? Is anybody thinking about me? Manuha is like that mantra. <clears throat> it's that uh, reminder. Yeah, sometimes we're not going. Sometimes we're not creating the next thing. Sometimes we're just driving around. Sometimes we're just staring out the window. Sometimes we're simply celebrating what's been done. And there's nothing on the agenda. There's nothing on the to-do list. Yeah, Sabbath is a day when your work is done, even if it isn't. By the way, uh, if you want to get more done, Manuha is the way. And actually, you know what? We should do a whole episode on this. If you really want to be productive, then set it down and walk away from it. If you really want to uh, channel your creativity, don't create. Go do something else and stop thinking about it. Um, so we should talk about that. That's the upside down truth that manu about manuha in the creative life. But we'll talk about that later. Now, let's talk about starting points. Uh, think about a kid growing up in a home with no manuha. It's an energetic field when there's no manuha that simply says, uh, what have you done? Keep going. Push, push, push. What are your grades? How much work have you done? How have you achieved? Manuha is both an ending point and a starting point, and that's, we're good. We're good. Kids can feel this energetically, whether or not they are unconditionally embraced exactly as they are. Because, and you can, feel, you can feel this in a relationship. You can feel this from a partner, from a lover. Are you 100% unconditionally loved exactly as you are? Is there manuha, rest, and celebration in the space between you? Or does this person have a list, maybe a subtle, unwritten list, of, uh, of ways they wish you would change, and then they would not withhold love, but then you would receive all sorts of new love and rewards if you would just. Because think about it. How do you grow? How do you mature? What inspires you? Uh, what moves us is when somebody embraces us exactly as we are. There's no striving. There's no lists. There's no conditions. They meet us exactly where they are, and they affirm us 
irrespective of what we've done, achieved, accomplished, how effective or productive we are, they meet us in this place of manuha, of rest, of ceasing. And when people do this, when they love you like this, it's unbelievably motivating. This is actually what happened uh, the first time Kristen and I got together. We've been friends forever, like four years. Um, but the first time we ever hung out outside of this larger group of friends, etc., I was overwhelmed with this sense that she loved me exactly as I am with all these quirks and faults and the strangeness that comes with my Rob Bellness. And what's interesting is, is it's almost in some ways for the first time ever I had this overwhelming sense that it was okay to be me exactly as I am. But what that did in the same breath counterintuitively is it made me want to be a better person without her ever saying, if you would just do this and this, I just have a short list of things. If you just clean these up, then, then you and me, we could have something between us. It was absolute unconditional embrace of me exactly as I was. And at the same time, it produced in me this volcanic desire, this, this massive urge to be a better person. That is the great counterintuitive twist on the divine resting. As you start in this place, you end in this place. Manuha, everything is fine. All the work is done. Manuha, you are a human being, not a human doing. Manuha, there is nothing to prove. Man, a kid picks that up in this home. Because parenting, being a parent is like architecture. Running a business is like architecture. You're like a column. And when you stand there as a column, you're creating negative space. You're creating the space around you and the people around you are inhabiting that space. And when you are deeply in touch with the manuha of everything, do you see why the Genesis poem, it's not just God rested, it's, and, and if, you, if the religious language gets in the way for you, then just the nature of reality is a stillness, a peace, a shalom, a grace, a resting deep in the spiritual bones of the body of the universe. And you experience this, so think about a kid who grows up in a home where the first place and the, the starting place and the ending place is always manuha. Yeah, you're a beautiful human being. You're supposed to be here. We value you and love you exactly as you are. Now, in light of that, let's go do some stuff. <laughs> you start there, the energy, the vitality, the vision often will come. But how many kids live with this it's six days of striving. Man, it's I got to prove, I got to earn, I got to show instead of there's a stillness, there's a rest that I'm coming from. It's like a place that you're coming from. It's like Manua is a thing, but it's like a realm that you're in. And then you move from that into your work, into your giving, serving, organizing, designing, mothering, fathering, all healing all that, you move into that space knowing that you're going to come back to Manuha. It's the starting and the ending point. And thousands of years ago, former slaves 
wandering in the wilderness who end up later, their ancestors in exile miles from home. Isn't it interesting all the suffering and enslavement and exile that leads to people going, hey, hold on, hold on, hold on. We missed it. We missed it. We lost the rest and everything fell apart. Menuha. <laughs> There's your new word. There is your new word. Write that in Sharpie on your arm. M-E-N-U-H-A. That's at least my spelling of it. Menuha. With it, put an exclamation point on it. Even though it's a rest and a stillness, you probably should put an exclamation point on it. Yeah. Menuha. All the work is done. There's a mantra for you. Try that one out. All the work is done. And then maybe in parentheses you write, even if it isn't. Yeah, you need those days. You need those hours. You need those weeks. You need those evenings when you're reminded that efficiency and production are not the divine's highest goal for your life. That creation does not climax with another, does not crescendo with another bit of work. It reaches its fullness, it reaches its height and its zenith with, and then on the seventh day, God rested. If you do not have the celebration, if you do not have the ceasing from labor, then you do not have the fullness of life. Yeah, but if you have that, now you got something. So there, my friends, did I mention that it's a screaming hot day in Los Angeles in August? There's the word of the day, manuha. Uh, and my hope and prayer is that it speaks to you something about the nature of the world we live in, that you move from that discontent, always plugged in, nervous buzz, to the calmness, to the peace, to the serene stillness of Manuha. And may grace and peace be with you every step of the way.